Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset, your daily source for everything happening in Chicago and around the world. There was some good news last week. The child poverty rate dropped a whopping 59 percent between 1993 and 2019. You heard me right, 59 percent. And an astounding new report from The New York Times and the nonpartisan research group Child Trends breaks down the dramatic poverty reduction, how it happened, and the different social safety net programs that contributed to the drop. Here to share more about the report's findings is one of its authors, Dana Thompson, senior research scientist at Child Trends. Also with us is Jason DeParle, a New York Times reporter who's been covering the study. Dana, we'll dig in throughout the conversation, but briefly, what to you are the most important takeaways from this report? Absolutely. So uh, overall, we've seen a really remarkable success story here. Our country has seen an astounding decline in child poverty over the past 25 years. In 1993, about one in four kids in the U.S. were experiencing poverty. And by 2019, we had reduced that by nearly 60% to one in 10. And that's largely thanks to uh, the growth the growth in the social safety net and a healthy economy. Jason, based on your reporting, it seems like many policy experts were actually surprised by the findings in this study. Why was that? Yeah, strangely, given how important child poverty is as a, a measure of moral health, um, it's remarkable that this trend over a quarter century hasn't gotten more attention. Yeah, how did this um, fly under the radar? I think there's a couple of different reasons. Um, uh, my colleague David Leonhardt today wrote in the, in the New York Times that uh, reporters tend to have a bad news bias. I think he's probably right. We tend to report more on things going wrong than things going right. And um, there's a statistical reason, too. The Census Bureau publishes multiple measures of child poverty. We used um, the one that best encompasses all government benefits, but um, there's a competing measure, and I think that's led to um, some confusion about uh, the long-term trends. So, Dana, let's talk about the data that's used to to make up this report. Where were you looking to get an assessment of, of the state of child poverty? In this country, so we used um, a, a historical data set that looks at um, poverty all the way back until 1967, and we combined that data set with um, the Census Bureau data, which um, pulls in character different characteristics of families, as well as data from um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the CDC. Um, so it's, it, we pulled in data from multiple data sources uh, to, to get, we really wanted to step back and get a big picture look at what causes or what factors led to this historic decline in child poverty. Yeah. What do you think about what, what Jason was just mentioning, Dana, about the fact that, you know, I, and I think it goes beyond media, which is what Jason was talking about, but I think it's a societal thing, just this focus on bad news versus good news. And, and I wonder if that helped spark your desire to look into that? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, we've, we've seen this decline over time. I think researchers and policymakers tend to compare, you know, this, this year's data to the previous year's data. Mm-hmm. We look at one specific factor. We really wanted to take a big step back and look at the big picture and see 
over time, as policies have changed, um, what has what has really what does this big picture look like? What has led to this decline? My understanding is hey, that. Hey, can I jump in for just a second? Sure, sure. Um, I want to be clear um, what we did not say. We did not say that child poverty has disappeared. We did not say that hardship has disappeared. Mm-hmm. Lots of families continue to experience hardship, even if they're above the poverty line. Um, we still have more than 8 million children in poverty in the country. Um, uh, no one um, at Child Trends or the New York Times is suggesting that the problem of child poverty has been solved. Um, we just wanted to note that there has been substantial progress made. Um, I thought the uh, research that Dana and uh, her colleagues did uh, was remarkably balanced in looking at both a safety net and economic factors, demographic changes, as a variety of factors that's contributed to um, yeah. to the decline in child poverty. Well, well, Jason, let's dig into that. In your story, you discuss how we've seen this drop in child poverty across the board, but there are still disparities among certain racial demographics. Can you expand on that for us? Oh, sure. Um, the uh, uh, Child poverty declined at equivalent rates among racial and ethnic groups, so at approximately the same rate for white children, black children, um, Latino children, Asian children. But because the starting point, there was so much inequality between them, um, it's still the case that black and Latino children are about three times as likely as um, white children to be poor. So they're, they're, all children are less likely to be poor, but the racial disparities um, have, not, uh, have not narrowed. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And if you're just joining us, we're discussing a new report from Child Trends, which is a nonpartisan research center, and The New York Times, and showing a dramatic decline in the child poverty rate over nearly three decades. We're speaking with one of the authors of the report, Dana Thompson, and Jason DeParle, who's a reporter for The New York Times. I want to bring someone else into the conversation. Joining us now is Christine Procheski, Associate Professor of Sociology at Northwestern University. Hi, Christine. Welcome back. Hi, thank you so much for having me on Reset to discuss this really important issue. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts then. You know, once you saw this report, were you surprised by the findings? I know this is what you do. You look into this stuff all the time. Right. Well, this is truly great news today. And I was a bit surprised how sharply poverty fell during the pandemic because of these COVID relief programs. And this reduction held for children in Illinois and Chicago area, too. And we now have solid evidence of what works to reduce child poverty in the U.S. And we owe it to our children to continue these policies. Help us understand, how is child poverty measured, Christine? Yes. So we have two measures. We have an official poverty rate that we've been using in the U.S. since the 1960s. And we have this newer supplemental poverty measure. The older measure just basically took the price of food, a very basic nutritional basket, and then multiplied it and then uh, compared that number to a family's income. This newer measure, this supplemental poverty measure, more better captures poverty and material hardship today because it takes into account other costs like healthcare costs and housing costs. And crucially, it takes into account not just income, but government programs providing food aid for kids, Mm -hmm. um, providing tax credits. And so if we use this old measure, the official poverty measure, we miss all the great work we've been doing to reduce child hunger and to reduce childhood hardships through these tax credits and SNAP and free school lunches and things like that. What do we know about the child poverty rate here in Chicago and Illinois? 
So the official poverty rate, that old measure for Chicago in 2020 was 25%. 25% of kids uh, fell one in four uh, fell below the poverty line in 2020 and 23% in 2019. Now, we don't have the most recent using the SPM, this better measure for 21. We don't have those numbers for Chicago yet. But there's every indication that they also fell because this uh, our national trends and the Chicago trends track very closely for previous years. Mm-hmm. And the numbers for Illinois for 2021 follow the national trend. So while we don't have exact estimates for Chicago or Illinois yet news using the 2021 data, yeah. there's every indication that we saw a tremendous reduction in child poverty in Illinois and Chicago too. Oh, I was just going to say, if I could jump in about the Illinois numbers, we actually did um, look at the decline in Illinois um, from 1993 to 2019. And Illinois um, saw a decline in child poverty of 65%. So that's Oh, even greater even than the greater. national average. Yeah, it, it, and this is using the SPM numbers. So it was um, 26% in 1993. It fell to 9% in 2019 and then down to 7% in 2020. And I don't have the 2021 numbers on. Mm-hmm. And Dana, I wanted to follow up on some of what Christine was talking about there. Of course, we know we've established that that national rate, that 59%, that it's made up of these different programs uh, that had an effect here. So, and one of those was the earned income tax credit. In your analysis, it showed uh, it reduced child poverty by 22%. Remind us what that is, Dana, the earned income tax credit and and why you think it had such a sizable impact. Yeah. So the earned income tax credit is a refundable tax credit. So families who pay taxes, um, can claim it. It is designed specifically um, at working families. So the credit begins um, with $1 earned and increases up to a maximum credit. Um, it has been um, one of our, our, our most effective programs at reducing child poverty since its expansion in the 1990s. Um, and one of its one of its the things that makes it particularly important is that it helps make work work for families because it boosts wages that are otherwise too low to support a family. Jason, in your article, you share this story of uh, a family who was helped by this earned income tax credit. Talk to us about Stacy Tallman. What's her story? Oh God, she's a waitress in uh, in West Virginia been on the job for more than 10 years. She lives with a guy who's a maintenance man at a ski resort and her son got in a car wreck. So both she and her partner had to reduce um, their work, a really serious car wreck. Um, The poor kid was laid up, teenage son was laid up for months. So their income plummeted and uh, they would have been poor. They would have fallen below the poverty line had it not been for an expansion of aid, um, particularly including the tax credit. So it's a, mm. a case where a family that um, had a long time commitment to work, they were not uh, you know, drawing cash welfare, um, uh, but had an interruption in their ability to work and were saved um, from poverty by um, government assistance. And, and you're so art- a very graphic exa- example of, you know, taking a family from below the poverty line right. to above the poverty line. Right, right. Your article also features several perspectives of of people who disagree with some of the report's conclusions. Uh, Specifically, some conservatives argue that this reduction in child poverty more so has to do with an increase in single mothers in the workforce. To what degree is that 
uh, a factor based on the rest of the evidence we, we know? Um, I think Dana's research um, credited it with about 10% of the um, poverty reduction. It's clear that since tougher welfare laws came in effect in the 1990s, uh, a larger share of low-income single mothers are in the workforce. Uh, but that growth stopped at about 2000 or so. Um, it shot up sharply in the, in, in the late 1990s. It's still higher now than it was in the 1990s, but it stopped growing, whereas child poverty reduction has continued. So something besides um, the increase in work um, is responsible, and the growth of the safety net um, has been dramatic since the, uh, 2000. Our spending on low-income children has more than doubled, uh, yeah. even after inflation. What are your thoughts here, Christine, on single mothers in the workforce and right. how that plays in? I mean, that's certainly an important point, but we owe it to our children to provide for them whether or not their moms are able to work. There's a lot of reasons why single mothers might not be able to work, um, including that a child becomes sick, that they themselves become sick. And certainly more single moms working did help reduce child poverty. But we need to build a robust child uh, safety net for families with children so that if a parent can't work for some reason to take care of themselves or their child or because of a pandemic, for instance, that we still keep kids above poverty. Uh, we know the huge devastating effects of poverty on children, on children's health, their long-term well-being. And so we owe it to kids to find a way to help those families even when parents can't work. So, Christine, what lessons can policymakers in Illinois and Chicago take from this study? Yes. I, I mean, I think tax credits work, uh, a responsive safety net that's flexible works, we need to find a way to get food to kids, you know, to increase SNAP or free school lunches, those things. Most of those are at the federal level, but at the local level, whatever we can do to um, reduce food insecurity and to make flexible programs, state tax credits, for instance, to help families, especially when there are unexpected disasters like the pandemic. But from the long term, we need to think strategically about reducing housing costs, investing in kids, providing child care help. Um, all those programs together are what it's going to take to help kids. And Jason, speaking of, uh, Christine mentions the pandemic there. I want to make sure that we're clear about this. The study only goes up to 2019, but during the pandemic, there was additional support provided to families uh, via the Huge ex support. expanded we child tax. Yeah. So, so how does that change these findings then? Uh, well, we found that child poverty had declined by nearly 60 percent before the pandemic. If you include the pandemic, it's down more than 80%. So child poverty has um, continued to rapidly decline in the last two years. And yesterday, the Census Bureau found it had fallen in half in, in just the past year alone because of temporary aid. So Dana, what have we learned? And what should it mean for how we plan policy going forward? It's a great question. So I think to continue this progress, um, we really need to do two things. One is to ensure that work is a viable option for families to support their children. And I think we do that with things like accessible and affordable childcare, minimum wages that are high enough to pay the bills, and paid family and medical leave. And then I think when work is not a viable option and during economic downturns, we also need a strong and, and equitable social safety net so that all children have something to fall back on in changing times. 
That was Dana Thompson, senior researcher at Child Trends, Christine Procheski, associate professor of sociology at Northwestern University, and Jason DeParle, a reporter for The New York Times. Thank you all. This episode of Reset was produced and mixed by Andrew Merriweather. Enjoying what you hear? Then consider subscribing to our podcast and find all the conversations on news, politics, the economy, arts, and culture we have to offer. And if you'd be so kind, please leave us a rating. It really helps other listeners find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll see you tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.